0: First scripture reading for today is from the book of James, chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but then does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Second reading is from Isaiah, chapter 1. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause.
1: Good morning, everybody. We're glad you're here on this very special Sunday morning, Mission Sunday. My name's Kara. I'm one of the pastors here. If I could get our panelists to make their way to the front, please. As Ryan explained earlier, we take this Sunday every year to celebrate the work that you're participating in that God is doing outside of 2 Street, and He's doing a lot. We have enough souls. This year, because God was so generous to this church body through your faithfulness and your trust in Him to reward you for being generous. We decided it was time we put a little more discipline in our process of giving away the money that we give away each year. So we cast a little bit wider net, we put an application process in place, and all these organizations that you see here, we've had the pleasure of getting to know through that process of stewardship this year. So I wanna tell you about the committee that we convened and I wanna thank the people that served on this committee with me this year. Dane Austin, Mike Barbie, Rebecca Iwerks, Matthew Skogan and Sally Whitman. These are all people that are part of the LMCC family, but also have gifts and professional experience in the area of, they either work in the not-for-profit sector, or have done grant writing, or are lawyers, or just generally smart people that I like to spend time with, and so I asked them to be on the committee. So we took the money that you gave and divided it into three categories. The first of those categories we called institutional giving. The institutions that we gave to you are, these were some of the larger organizations that we've partnered with in the past, and some of them are actually new to us, and The institutions that we gave to this year, you see their logos up here, and some of them are represented in this panel here. The Father's Heart Ministries, which many of you volunteer at the Father's Heart and contribute in some way. The New York City Rescue Mission, which is a very special organization to us as well. Restore NYC, who we've partnered with for many years now. CASA is a new one to us. You're going to hear more about CASA later, the quarterstaff. Court Appointed Special Advocates, NOMI Network, and Open Hands Legal Services. The second category of giving is churches. And we have always made it a, made it a priority to support new churches in New York City. We wanna partner with those who are alongside with us ministering to our city that we love. And so Dwell Church and Renaissance Church, you've seen up here before, as well as Restoration Church. We, w- we were able not only to continue to support them, but to support them in an even more meaningful and impactful way this year because of your gifts. Some new organizations that you see up there for the first time this year are City Seminary of New York, City Seminary Raises up leadership specifically for urban ministry, which we all know is an important part of reaching the people that we love in New York City and other urban areas around the world. So they're new on our list this year, as is the Orchard Group. Some of you are familiar with the Orchard Group because they were the group that helped start LMCC's predecessor church many years ago back in 2003. So they were a part of our genesis. They've supported us in myriad ways over the years, not just financially, but through wisdom and guidance and guidance some excellent preaching here and there when we've needed it. So the Orchard Group's up there this year, too. And then the third category of giving we called innovation. Innovation, We for this category, we were looking for smaller, newer organizations that are trying new things that we hadn't heard of before, but that we were moved by the importance of what they're doing. And so our first three gifts in this new category of giving are The Healing Movement. You all know The Healing Movement. Whether you realize you know The Healing Movement or not, you'll find out more in a minute. Um, Shalom Ministries. And then Do For One. And so you'll be hearing more about all of these in just a moment. Throughout this process, something really exciting to us, and I hope to you, to us on the committee and to the pastors, happened, which is God-inspired an idea a vision from this committee that we wanted to be it came clear to us we wanted to do more of this fund smaller organizations that are out there that we may not know about so we created or are creating a new organization if you want to call it or a new initiative called the innovation fund and this is coming straight out of lmcc that's our new logo it's hot off the press as i've Friday, And we love the logo because of the if at the beginning. It makes you think about the possibilities of getting out there and finding these organizations. The Innovation Fund is going to have a large, is largely going to be internet-based. The application will be online. We will get the word out online so that we can find these smaller initiatives that are happening all over New York City that we may not hear about otherwise. So I'm really excited. Are you all excited about that? It's a big deal. You'll, you'll be hearing more about that and you'll be seeing more of it on our website and otherwise um, we'll be making announcements about it probably towards the fall when we get a little more uh, get it a little more fleshed out. But I'm super excited about that. So enough from me. I want to introduce our speakers for this morning. Actually, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. These are representatives from some of the innovation recipients as well as the institutional recipients, and we've asked them to serve panel style this morning so that they can really have a conversation with us about what God's doing through their ministries. So, panelists, can I ask you each to introduce yourselves Tell us the mission of your organization and, of course, your name. You want to start, Jesus? You want to share there, guys?
2: Morning, everyone. My name is Jesus Martinez. I am a pastor at the Father's Heart Church, and I'm also on the board of the Father's Heart Ministries. Our mission is to declare and demonstrate that Daddy is not angry and you can come home. And it's easy to say that, but he's practical as well. So we're able to demonstrate that through our food pantry, soup kitchen, which I see many of you have been to, to volunteer, of course. Um, We also have a kids program, GED, ESL, a men's program now. Um, So we've been just so, so blessed to be able to not just, you know, we say that it's, it's walking the talk and to be able to see people's lives changed in a very practical and also supernatural way to see God's will revealed and lived out in their lives. So thank you.
3: Hello, everyone. My name is Andrew Oliver, and um, I'm actually used to hiding behind musical instruments. This is a new experience for me. Um, I can't tell you what an honor and privilege it really is to be here with all of you and to meet everyone here on the panel My wife and I started a small, non for profit called Do For One. The issue that Do For One addresses is the stigma, the segregation, and the mistreatment of people with developmental disabilities. Our response is building one-on-one relationships for people who have a developmental disability and some kind of need for companionship or advocacy. So these relationships start very simply as friendships, but they can blossom into sometimes formal advocacy of sorts. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, you know, the idea is to take to meet people who are kind of get to experience the more ordinary privileges in life, you know, celebrating birthdays, making everyday decisions like have drinks at a bar with friends and things like that that we can take for granted that people with disabilities oftentimes don't get to experience. And when you're matched with somebody, you can invite your friend to come and celebrate birthdays and invite them over to your Thanksgiving meal and that kind of thing. So do for one. Thank you.
4: you Um, Good morning. I'm Jimmy Lee, and it's good to be with you again. I'm with Restore NYC, and I'm the executive director. And uh, what I always tell people is what we do is very straightforward and very, very hard. We find victims and help restore survivors of sex trafficking right here in New York City. We focus on foreign nationals, and we find victims through our partnership with the court system, law enforcement, and other nonprofits. Even churches have referred victims to us. And then we help them in every way, uh, including with a safe home in Queens where women can stay for up to 12 and sometimes 15 months. Uh, And it's great to be with you all again.
5: Good morning, my name is Hyejin Shim. Uh, I'm on the board for Open Hands Legal Services and it's also good to be back here. I was here last year and thank you so much for your faithful friendship and support. Um, What Open Hands does is to respond to God's calling to seek justice and defend the oppressed in New York City. The very scripture that we read this morning uh, by providing free legal services to the most underserved population in New York City, including homeless, the low income population, as well as ex-offenders. And uh, we are the, believe it or not, the only Christian legal aid uh, in the entire New York City except for Brooklyn. Um, and we're trying to expand our service. Our, our main focus is in Manhattan right now. We did limited service in Queens, but uh, we are uh, about six years old, and we're trying to expand our service as well.
6: Uh, good morning. My name is Craig Mays, and uh, the New York City Rescue Mission has been providing help and hope for the hungry, hurting, and homeless men and women of New York City since 1872. I've been the director all of those years, 143 years now. <laughs> Actually, it's been three years. I just celebrated my three-year anniversary. It feels like 143, but um, <laughs> it's great to be back. This is my, I consider this my, the church I would go to if my wife and I weren't pastoring a church for the homeless just a few blocks away, but it's great to be with you again.
7: Thanks. Hi, family. Um, my name is Sarah Ahn, and I've been coming to this church for almost six years now. Um, uh, the organization I founded is the Healing Movement And the healing movement is an organization that started not even a year ago, um, and it's working to empower and sustain hip-hop and street dance artists to go out and spread healing into recovering communities through their gift of dance. So dance instruction, um, story sharing, um, spoken word poetry, and uh, performances that bring messages of hope. Um, Recovering communities include... um, socially marginalized groups, um, the oppressed, the abused, um, anyone experience, who has experienced internal brokenness. So mainly we've reached out to um, women, um, teaching them how to break in a male dominated art form. Um, and we're also working with an organization that serves residents in transitional housing, Um, residents who were formerly homeless, um, have come from foster care, juvenile justice system, and are working toward independence. Um, And we're also about to partner with um, Teen Challenge, which is a drug and alcohol substance abuse recovery program as well, so.
8: Hi guys, I'm Sarah Jane. Uh, I'm a screenwriter and filmmaker. I serve on the board of NOMI Network. Um, Like uh, Jimmy Lee, we work in the anti-trafficking space, Um, but our focus, at least at the moment, is primarily abroad in India and in Cambodia. And one of the reasons I got involved with NOMI, and um, I'm so enthusiastic about supporting them, is that there are all kinds of economic factors that contribute you know, to, to trafficking. Uh, nobody wakes up one morning and thinks, I wanna trade my kid. Uh, I remember meeting somebody in a bathroom once after they heard some people speak, and they were like, I just don't know why anybody would do that. And I said, yeah, that's exactly the question you have to ask yourself, but with a completely different perspective. Why would somebody wake up one morning and think the best future for their child And in order to be able to feed their family, they might have to let one of their kids go and hope that they manage to have a decent life. It's really sad. So um, NOMI works to create economic empowerment opportunities, um, primarily for women, um, but also for their entire families in India and Cambodia, and they're looking to create um, in their new program about 100,000 jobs over the next seven years. So your support will be going to help that new expansion, and we're really excited about it. That means not just um, jobs for the women, not just training. Uh, It means community. It means education for the children. It means square meals every day, and it's a giant empowerment of the whole community because it provides a different model for life and of opportunity, and that in a turn you know, generates hope and the belief that life can be better than the circumstances some of these folks we work with are born into. So thank you so much um, for your support.
9: Hello, I'm Peggy Grauweiler, I'm from CASA NYC. We are a volunteer-based child advocacy organization and we serve children who have been removed because of abuse and neglect from their homes and are lost in the foster care system. What we try to do is make sure we can get them to permanency, to safe homes, loving long-term homes, or reunited with birth parents who have stabilized their lives and are healthy and can give them the best that they need. Um, We're 36 years old, and I want to thank you all for your support. We have over 120 volunteers every year, New Yorkers like yourselves who care about children who are lost, and some of whom may, may spend 10, 12 years in foster care and have four or five different homes. So your support is really helpful to us, so thank you.
1: Thank you all. Now, could I ask you to tell us what's something exciting on the horizon for your organization? What are your next big initiatives and areas of growth? In no particular order, just jump in when you wanna share.
6: Okay, I'll go first. Actually, Kara gave these questions to us a few weeks ago, and I've really been wrestling with this because I have a a hundred ideas in my mind, trying to pray about it. Um, I would say two things. One is um, I get asked sometimes by the media, how are we going to solve this problem? In New York City, there are over 90,000 homeless men, women, and children, uh, 30,000 of whom are children. So it's such a great need in our city. The city spends $1.3 billion every year on the homeless challenge, and the problem is getting worse. So I'm... One of the things I'm excited about is that God is going to grow in the hearts of our community the kind of compassion that will change that. Because until we see the homeless in our city as if they were our own children, our own relatives, people that we know and love who have a name and have a story, uh, I don't think we're going to change it. Um, The the specific thing I feel called to in the next 10 years is that um, family shelters are a great need in our city, and there's really very little that's Christ-centered. And so we're praying about expanding the next 10 years to provide, uh, provide shelter for families who are homeless.
9: I think it sort of piggybacks, but one of the things that we're really looking at is the delay for children in foster care and the fact that so many of them are coming in between birth and five years old and not being adopted and not being reunited with their families. So we're working with the court system, the New York City Family Court system, this year to pilot a new courtroom that is dedicated to having sophisticated resources to look at timeliness to adoption um, and making sure that children don't spend seven to ten years or some of the youth that you're working with who are aging out and showing up in homeless centers and shelters or in prison because that period of time was so poor and that their well-being wasn't cared for. So we're really looking to target and improve on adoption. And to give you some idea, New York State ranks 45th in the nation on timeliness to adoption and 50th on permanency. So we have a lot of work to do. Um, But I'm very hopeful. We have great partners. And I think we can do much more for the young children as well as the ones who are aging out to independence.
4: And uh, it's great to follow what Craig and Peggy said because Craig called uh, homelessness a problem. And... um, That's what we call sex trafficking. We say, you know, let's not call sex trafficking an issue because we tend to talk about issues, but let's call it a problem, like Craig called uh, uh, homelessness, because we solve problems. Um, And at Restore, the big things on our horizon is how do we solve this problem? And then piggybacking on what Peggy said, we feel like we've kind of come across one of the best strategies to find victims working with the courts system in New York. Uh, But year over year, we've had a 230% increase in demand and referrals. So we've actually had to go back to the courts uh, a a couple months ago and tell them we couldn't handle anymore, which is kind of tragic when you feel like you've kind of begun solving the problem. Uh, so uh, with your help, we're going to uh, hire a couple more people to not only meet the demand, but then following on what SJ said about economic empowerment, we really feel like in New York or Cambodia or India, we're not going to crack the nut of sex trafficking unless we find economic opportunities for these women. And that's where we're spending a lot of our time building a portfolio of business partnerships, or even by the end of this year going to be launching our own social enterprise here in New York to help employ some of the women. So those are some of the big things we're doing, and it's great being on this panel because there's a lot of things, even though we we may be working in different areas or different parts of the world, uh, but we're approaching it in similar ways of of solving problems with your help.
5: Well, speaking of solving problems, um, the OpenAIDS was able to... um, uh, help about an average of about 300 clients per year uh, for the past six years. But because God has just tremendously just led us to such a growth that last year, actually, we served over 800 clients. But Open Hands has only three part-time staff, including a couple lawyers, so which is remarkable. Uh, so most of the cases are handled by our volunteer attorneys. We have about uh, about over 100 volunteer attorneys giving their talents and time and resources to do it, and we need more. Um, what's really uh, interesting about our work is that in the beginning, when uh, we start, uh, when, when we did the assessment of the needs in New York City um, of the legal needs of the uh, most underserved population, initially we figure out that they need a lot of help in the family law, housing law, and public benefit. Areas and, and criminal issues as well. But so we focus on the housing and public benefit and family law issues in the beginning, and we still focus on that. But over the years, what God has revealed is that there's a lot of problems with reentry. Uh, of the ex-offenders and there's a lot of legal needs that's in there. So we have a a partner with one organization helping out the ex-offenders to start their own business. So we were able to bring in corporate lawyers who's afraid of meeting uh, one-on-one clients all the time or going to court, but um, we were able to just bring those gifts to help these ex-offenders to start their own business and become entrepreneurs. We have now a new uh, a partnership uh, with another organization that help out uh, ex-offenders and we're really trying to launch a bigger program and um, really helping them to re-enter into the society in many different ways, not only just about economic issues. So that's a new area that God is really um, just showing us that there's a great need, uh, which means we also need a lot of help in developing that as well.
7: Um. Hip hop and street dance artists are just like anybody else. Um, they, <laughs> we might look different on the outside because of how we move, but our backgrounds can relate to anybody. Um, there are people who I work with, um, uh, with on the artist side, that I usually I hand select them to um, for specific projects. So. Um, because of the way that they can relate from their personal experience. So people who um, have been to jail or prison or have um, experienced uh, recovering from addictions, um, people who have uh, survived sexual abuse, um, and sometimes it's a direct correlation and sometimes the difference in not having experienced that, including myself, a lot of times I have not had direct experience with um, these types of substances, but by partnering with them, I, uh, we end up learning um, so much and, and the goal is to level the playing field through dance to um, to create empathy. So this next project with Teen Challenge, um, we're doing a Rock the Block 2015 summer tour and we're creating a piece. I've hand-selected some artists to um, create a a piece from scratch because of this grant. We're able to do this and to bring out the stories from the artist's experience and um, be able to share it with the communities who have um, gone through and are still recovering um, from stuff. (laughs) Thank you.
3: Um, Something that's exciting for us is that we're seeing more and more churches particularly smaller, newer churches getting really excited about what we're doing. Um, There are only 11% of evangelical churches in the United States that have some kind of workable model that serves the developmentally disabled, and probably less than that when you're talking about serving adults with developmental disabilities. Oftentimes we think of children, but children become adults and oftentimes their disability remains with them. But not only that, but I think our approach is unique in that we're not asking churches to start a segregated program on Wednesday nights for people with disabilities or something like that. It's actually talking more about integration. And when you look at the New Testament, it's clear as day when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, that the people that we think are less important are actually the most important. And I think more and more I'm seeing that really resonate in people's hearts. So we're really excited to see just a unique uh, diversity within the body of Christ.
8: Yeah, and I already mentioned with um, Nomi, obviously, you know seven years, 100,000 jobs, seeing slavery end in our lifetime. I mean, none of us are working against each other <laughs> in these spaces. We all want to put each other out of business um, because that'll mean the problem has been eradicated. And it's not something that happens abroad it's not something that happens to other people in New York City. It's something in which every single one of us is complicit in some way. And I think that um, one of the best things that can happen here today, and we want to take this opportunity to to talk about it and opportunities in the years to come to talk about it, is how every single one of you by making small choices can contribute to solving this problem, right? Um, Your favorite cup of morning coffee, um, your soft t-shirt that you like to sleep in or dress your little child in, Um, A text message that you send to a loved one, all made possible by child labor, enslaved child labor. Who would do this? Every single one of us. And who can end it? Every single one of us by making judicious choices. So I'm excited for the future, for what every single one of us sitting in this room can think about making tiny little choice changes in order to quash a 90-plus billion dollar industry a year. Because every two seconds while we've been talking, somebody has been traded. And the value of their life on average across the world was placed at $90. You know, I don't know about you guys, but we can't end this alone. We sang a song this morning about how only God can rescue us. And we have to get in the fight together, whether it's against homelessness or sex trafficking or labor trafficking or kids who need to move through the foster care system. I do not believe that there's a limited pie that God makes of resources for us to fight all of that. That's not the world that's on his heart. (laughs) And if we step up, you know, the fishes multiply and so does the bread and these problems go away because we're willing to march onwards against them.
2: Okay. The Father's Heart Church, the physical building itself, was built in, I believe, in 1868. And when the building was landmarked, we were struck. You know, my father-in-law, Pastor Chuck, has been there for, I think he was there since 1868. But anyway, <laughs> for 50 years. Um, but even he was struck that when it was landmarked, when the report was done, that the, uh, those who were in ministry at that time had owned a different property and they felt the call to serve the needs, which is what's happening now. So we knew that God had put that physical church to be there to do what we're doing now. They were doing then. They were doing job training, uh, feeding the community. Everything we're doing now was being done then. Um, But as we know in this city, you look around, there's construction everywhere. Uh, We need to be able to bring the building up to current codes, um, I'm also in the fire department, so fa- safety is paramount to me as well. Um, so we are excited because we have, uh, well, if you know Tim, you can raise your hand, Tim, but uh, we know that he's been a godsend uh, because we had had plans drafted, and we had just things in place, you know? And my wife, who's a volunteer coordinator, i been receiving these emails from this guy named Tim, you know? But she said, there's something about this guy. And so we're excited because... We know that God had sent him to lead a team to really put that plan into place and bring it up to present, bring it up to current code. So it's not really a cosmetic issue. It's making sure that those who are coming to receive all that God has for them there, it's a safe place. You know, it's not unsafe right now, but to facilitate serving at times 800 guests in an hour, you know, if you've been there, you know our chapel is the kitchen right the sanctuary is the eating area right so we're excited that the plans have begun there have been movement towards uh, beginning these these phases uh, because as we've heard so far you know there is so much money 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 thrown after things and you know when we know that when 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 god you know when he you know he gives the vision he gives the provision and we've been seeing it at work and we're excited to be able to know that we can maybe serve more you know and have spaces that will facilitate it better. Open Hands Legal Services, when they come once a month, they share half the space with our GED program. So we're looking to have individual rooms or just to make better use of it to meet the needs for those who are coming to the building. So thank you.
1: Thank you all. And to wrap up, can you tell us about an individual or a family whose life God has used your organization to change?
6: So uh, this was my favorite question, and we were told we were only given five minutes to answer our three questions total, so I was cryptic on the first two, so <laughs> a little bit longer on this one, because, I, you know, I mentioned that there are 90,000 homeless, but um, for all of us, all of our ministries, it really comes down to the individual life. It's one life at a time that we're able to, to touch, and that's what your investment in all of our ministry means, that individual lives are being changed. So i got a ton of stories. I'll, I'll do this really quickly. Um, one day a week, at least, at the end of the workday, I change into my running clothes and I head over to the Hudson River. Andrew DeCurtis, who's on our staff, goes with me sometime, another staff member. We invite the guys in our recovery program. These are men who are recovering from addiction, mostly, uh, to run with us. And every now and then, a guy shows up at 5 o'clock in the lobby to run, and it's hilarious because they can't run. They're coming out of pretty, you know, being pretty brutal on their bodies, and, but they want to try and I'm an old guy, so they think they can outrun me. So I give them the same speech. We're going to go three or four miles out. At the halfway point, we're going to come back the same route. So when you can't run anymore, you just wait for us. We'll pick you up on the way back. So Charles joined us this week. Charles has been, uh, was a cocaine addict for 22 years. He's been about three months in our program. He's come to Christ. Uh, an amazing conversion. So in love with God. So amazed at what's going on. He's got so much joy. So he he joins us. He's running, and I'm giving the little speeches. We're running. You know, don't feel bad when you have to stop. We ran the whole time. He talked the whole time. (laughs) I need, you know, I use the oxygen for my body, not my, you know, speech. But and here's what he was saying: I can't believe I'm out here. This city is so beautiful. Look at this. Look at the river. Look at the boats. Look at the trees. This is amazing. Look at my body's actually working. If you could have seen me just six months ago, you wouldn't believe. I can't believe I'm out here. He just kept talking. Charles, shut up. You need to, you know. And uh, and but it was such. It brought me such joy because. And at the very end, he said, my mom, when I told her today I was going jogging, she lives in another place. She said, they kill joggers in New York City. I said, it's another one of those stereotypes. You're, you're, you're fine. But she said she's been praying for him for 22 years, for her son to come home, to come to God, to come to health. And uh, through, the, through the work of the New York City Rescue Mission, the investment of LMCC, these are the kind of stories that we're seeing just about every single day. By the way, at the end, when we got done, he said he, he ran Division I track, So that was a little bit of a body memory.
5: I want to share a story of Juan. So, Juan is a labor worker who makes like, let's say, minimum wage, has multiple legal issues, and his life was just really waiting down on him. Um, I do remember in my early uh, uh, time with Open Hands when I was also volunteering as an attorney, um, there was actually a person who came in when we were serving at Father's Heart. um, And when we meet our clients, I mean, the first thing that we, we think of is that this person is an image bearer of God. So our very first thing that we want to do as Christian lawyers is to restore their dignity and restore their hope. Um, and through the help of this very practical help of legal legal aid, then we can also uh, help them bring to the full person that God had intended them to be. So, And then this one person, not one, it's an older story, but I remember him coming into legal aid and... Um, slowly opening his heart to the lawyer as we were doing this very confidential client meeting. Um, At the end of that conversation, he confessed that I came in here for very last meal and uh, father's heart and last meeting um, with some people and happened to be you guys, lawyers, and I was going to walk out of here and end my life. And um, But we were able to minister to him at that time. So Juan, back to Juan, Juan has so many legal issues, and his coworker, by God's grace, knew about open hands. So she dragged him to open hands to meet these lawyers because he had so many um, legal issues, including tax issue, child support, and uh, workers' rights issues so but you know he was really reluctant because his heart was so broken, his life was so broken, um, but every time they came to meet the lawyer together, the coworker listened to him and ministered to him, and um, so they met multiple times because of the multiple issues and um, in that process, because the lawyers really listened to him and uh, show him that he can trust them, that he slowly opened his heart. So we were able to uh, resolve the first two issues and we're still working on the third issue of a worker's right because he's getting much lower than minimum wage uh, for his work. Now, his uh, dignity and hope has restored so much that he actually brought six of his coworkers who are also under so many legal issues so that there will be restored hope as well as practical help. So that, this is the kind of cases that we're dealing with and I really want you to know that um, you guys are all part of it. Thank you.
4: Um. Um, You know, I'm not an emotional guy. Um, I've been married for 13 years. My wife has seen me cry once. Um, (laughs) But sometimes when I go to, like, the uh, staff bio page of our website, I I, I get teary-eyed, and that's because one bio is very different. And it's just one sentence long, and it says... A is a Restore NYC Safe Home graduate who returns to us now as a Safe Home coordinator helping to rebuild the lives of other women. You know, um, the face of sex trafficking is often that of a young girl, and that's often tragically true. But last year, we were shocked to find out that of the over 200 women we served, 77% of the trafficked women were actually young moms overwhelmingly separated from their kids, uh, and because they were moms that actually made them more vulnerable to being exploited, and A was one of these moms who would just do anything for her children, just like you moms here, and she paid an, uh, an incredibly heavy price. But now she's able to start living that life she wanted to in the first place, not only to to build that life for herself, but to give opportunities uh, that she never had for her children. And to be able to walk alongside her and to be part of that story of redemption uh, makes this hard work uh, incredibly rewarding. And and. All these stories, you know, you guys all do play a concrete role in making that happen. And so it's such a privilege to be able to share that uh, with you all.
8: Yeah, Jimmy, that is so true. I just want to echo it for you guys. You know, this is not specifically Nomi-related, but I'll tie it into one. But just to affirm what you're saying there, like um, we're working on a post-production on a new film right now called uh, Liberated, which is about the hypersexualization of culture. And we interviewed like six um, very high earning call girls in Las Vegas uh, during the course of this documentary. And the question pretty much went like this You know, how much did you make last year? Um, oh, $2 million. How much of that did you see? Nothing. Like six women back to back. What do you mean, nothing? Um, oh, I, I don't see any of the money. It all goes to, to my pimp. And if I try to take any, he'll kill me. Why don't you leave? because he has my child who is like eight months old and won't give the child back to me if I don't go to work. And worse than anything, these moms worry about not their child being killed. They worry about their child being trafficked because little babies are the highest in demand in America at the moment like as a growing sector. That's how bad it is. These are like real people with real families and real hopes and dreams that are being quashed. And um, I'm like Debbie Diner this morning because, you know, there's so many of the stories are so hard. Um, but I do think I want to share. I was with Diana, the, the co-founder of Know Me last fall here in New York. I'm home based in Austin, Texas. And um, I was in her apartment up on the Upper East Side when we got the news from India that this awesome mom of three kids who had just you know, graduated to be a master trainer in their program there was very excited because this was gonna allow the money for her to save up for her kids to get even more education and she was just thrilled. And the reality is, you know, the, the young women at Nomi are extraordinary. I mean, I think all the co-founders are like younger than me and the resilience they have, the, the resilience it gives me and the faith it gives me in God is changing. Every day, you know, Diana got a call that there was retaliation crime against the mom for leaving sex trafficking. And um, her young daughter was missing. Her daughter was 10 years old. And uh, these women, the the local authorities would do nothing. And these women who come from different um, parts of society in India who oftentimes wouldn't talk to each other or wouldn't touch each other, who would never hug each other, you know, have become best friends... And uh, they went out and they canvassed the the countryside to find her. And I wish I could tell you that it was a happy story where they find the little girl alive. Um, They drug her body out of a pond outside of the village and she had been drowned after being brutally raped and murdered multiple times. That's the reality these people are struggling for. Nobody's picking it. Nobody wants it. And... It can change our hearts, it can change your hearts. They manage to, all of these survivors um, struggle to find joy in long-term restoration. I mean, if we fund these guys for them to give support for 15 years, not 15 months, because restoration isn't like a couple of months process. They need us so, so badly. And if you just go out and tell a friend today, that will be the beginning of the end of the problem. You know, I could tell a million people a year for 30 years, and we'd reach 30 million people. If two of you leave this room today and share why all these things have to end, and two of your friends then share it with two friends, you share it with two friends, over 30 years, these stories would reach 2.2 billion people. That's the power of you standing up and using your voice to share these stories and taking action to fight them.
3: share a, a quick story. I wanted to share this one because it started as something that seemed like an impossibility, and I'm just overjoyed to see so much fruit coming from this relationship. So imagine we all, we're all New Yorkers, so I know that we can imagine this person that you see living on the streets, and you can tell there's kind of an emotional and a, and a mental instability about them. Um, now Imagine you follow their story back a little bit And you learn that they've been in and out of shelters, having a hard time cooperating with the system, making decisions on their own, finding the best options You know, due to their mental impairment. Then you follow their story forward, and you learn that where this person ended up was a closed nursing home, living an isolated life on a hospital bed. No visitors. Um, That's the story of somebody that I'll call John. Um, Known John for a long time. He's got such a pleasant personality. Uh, and then sometimes not so pleasant. Um, Over over some some time, I met somebody who has just a very even-keel personality, extremely intuitive, extremely compassionate and understanding about all kinds of people, and I thought he would be a tremendous advocate for John. And so I made the introduction, and I think about a year and a half has gone by now, and he... He went from living in isolation to now having a regular visitor on a weekly to bi-weekly basis where they go for walks, they go for talks, um, Bible study, prayer, they play dominoes around the table in the day room, Um, sometimes other residents get involved and so there's kind of a, not just a one-on-one, but there's kind of a community thing happening there and you know this. This advocate has had a chance to meet some of his distant family, so we have hopes that maybe this will inspire family to rally around this person once again. Um, so we're really excited about just seeing that simplicity of a small seed of an introduction blossoming into something just so
2: beautiful. Okay. Um, we've uh, been blessed to have had, and we meaning all of you who are here. Okay to have had guests who um, on the food pantry line become volunteers themselves. Uh, There's one in particular, uh, he was in the Marines, as was I, and Gary as well. And um, he's gone from the line to being a regular volunteer and a very integral part at that. Um, And the one thing that he uh, just remembers, he says, you know, when I was on the line, I really was a guest. I, you know, you, you didn't treat me different. You know, we've heard it before, you know, to, to see people. And, you know, I, that's my personality. I see everyone. I think you shared it before. You know, I see everyone who is here right now a brother or a sister that God has made for me that I haven't met yet, okay? So I love to meet people. And for our guests, that's the one thing that we um, even instruct our volunteers. These are guests. Okay, we, we serve we serve them. Okay, um, so to be able to see uh, him in particular become just a key part of what's going on and a continual reminder, you know, for for all of us who, when you're in there, when you're in, in the foxhole per se, you know, you can kind of just get I want to say worn down, but you get kind of just so busy you can kind of forget that at times. So to see firsthand, you know, a life changed just by simply being a part of the solution, right? Just to see someone's life restored to, they can look in the mirror and say, you know, wow, I see Christ. I see his reflection in the mirror. I don't see my my, my faults, my shortcomings. I don't see those things that kept me thinking that I was less than. I know that he gave his life for me and I have purpose. So I just want to thank you as uh, the sincerely thank you for your support because it's, you're there with us you really are there with us standing the gap for us, you know, with your support you know, again, there are others we could be here all day, you know, but there are others who have been able to come off the line to serve you know, that's why he, you know we know this, he came not to be served, but to serve and for them to come to that place and say, you know, my, I have something to give, so thank you so much for your continued support
9: I just want to share a story about a little girl. She's four years old, and our volunteer, um, Cassandra, who has been with us for seven years, she's a paralegal in downtown New York, um, has been working with Crystal since January of 2015. We were assigned because Crystal is with her grandmother who wants to adopt her. When she was two months old, she was removed from her mother who has a severe addiction and has been unable to get sober and clean in all this time, and so the goal for her is adoption. She's four years old and she also has autism. We were assigned because the foster care agency was unable in all this time to get her birth certificates, which are key to finalizing adoption, but also that to make sure that the services she's receiving will meet her needs in a meaningful way and to support the grandmother because the process of taking on your child's child who has special needs. And then waiting through this arduous judicial process is really stressful. And many times we'll see adoptions fail because families will give up. And in this case, she's actually going to be with a birth family. Um, During the time that she's been with her grandmother, her mom had two other children, and she has two siblings who are two and three years old. They were also removed immediately and are together in a non-kinship foster home. They do not have their birth certificates. They need evaluations to make sure they have play therapy, that they're in the right schools, and that they can also be adopted. And so in April, after about six weeks, she was able to get the birth certificates, which is something that had been unable to do in over three years, um, to begin the process of connecting each child with evaluations to be certain that whatever services they need, whether it's, for special um, placement in schools or therapies are up to date. Children evolve every day, right? We take care of a little child that we love and we see them at six months, they're in this place. A month later they can do this and so on. But these children sometimes get lost in this system and no one's tending to their day-to-day well-being. No one's there to be family and to give them the kind of support that we have in this room today. And so at CASA we really try to make sure when we get assigned to children that we're looking at the whole picture and where is the future for this child and how can we make sure that the most simple thing like a vital record, which is critical to staying in school, et cetera, right, receiving your benefits, but also there's a potential family there and how do we prevent the process from fatiguing them out and having this set of children be in care when they're 11 and 15 and aging out at 20 or 21 and arriving a year or two later in one of the homeless shelters in New York City, which, again, is a big problem that we're having and trying to address. So with your support, we hope to do more. Our volunteers give 20 hours a month. Our retention rate, they spend three years. We have volunteers who have been with us for 20 years. Um, They give enormous attention and care, very individualized, to each child. And these are children. They're our city's children. They didn't choose their circumstances. They deserve better, and we are so smart, and so I think blessed and able to do in New York City that we really have to ask ourselves, what, what can I do? What can I do for that child? So thank you all very much for your time.
7: Thanks, um, I'm gonna tell you a story about a young woman who came through our doors. Um, and she joined our women's program for, it's called B-Girls Breaking Through. Um, I'm going to call her Jenny, um, and hopefully I don't screw it up and say her real name on accident. So, Jenny, <laughs> Jenny, 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 Okay. Um, so, um, Jenny found us online through our social media. Uh, she found that not only did we teach breaking classes for women, breaking, like breakdancing, but um, a a woman who breaks is called a b girl so she found our b girls breaking through classes um, on youtube and then um, she found on our instagram um, a video of us in collaboration with milagros day or uh, milagros day worldwide which is a an organization for survivors of domestic abuse so she said Hmm, this is really interesting because one, I want to learn how to be girl, and two, I am a survivor of domestic abuse and I have PTSD. I just found out that that's what I have and have had that my whole life, and um, disabilities and a myriad of other things, including homelessness. So um, I'm going to fast forward and then I'm going to come back to the Be Girls Breaking Through class. So um, through the, through her, um, we got connected to the or, the organization, the transitional housing for those who were once homeless and went through all these systems, um, and are now working toward independence. So now Darlene and I are actually doing um, a residency there, uh, a dance program and health education and um, nutrition, etc. Um, now, now I'm going to go back to the class. Um, in the B girls breaking through class, um, we start off with an hour and a half of teaching breaking. And then we end with an hour of um, just a conversational cipher where we, we process the class and what it brought up for you and what that means and how it parallels your life. Because we see dance and, and life as um, being a reflection of each other. So um, she was able to process her story, her experiences. And um, one day, she was the first one at class, and um, Tiff and I were actually um, teaching we're co-teaching that class together, and we show up, we walk up to her, and she's waiting at the door, and she's really early, and she says we say, "Hi, hi, Jenny," and she says, "Thank you so much." And we're like, "Hi." <laughs> so we give her a hug and she says, um, "My baby's, she's a single mother. My baby's father contacted me after four years of walking out of our lives. He contacted me for the first time and he wanted to come back into our lives. He apologized, said he was wrong and everything. And I had the confidence to stand my ground. And I had the confidence to tell him that if you want to be back in our lives, you're going to have to go through me first. <laughs> if you want to see him, you're going to have to go through me first. And, and slowly just start to um, uh, just have her own voice and speak up. She said that um, she realized that what she had been practicing every week in our class and being able to process it verbally afterwards um, helped her to build the confidence that she knew she would never have, and she never had before um, when he was in her life. So, um, so she just said, thank you. And we said, oh my goodness, thank you. Um, Now, because of the program that she's in, in that housing situation, they are going to pay for an internship for her to intern with the healing movement in the fall. And um, this internship is to help her um, work toward economic independence, work toward gaining vocational skills toward her chosen career. And she wants to do dance, and she wants to um, learn more. So we're going to figure it out. Then. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much also for just supporting me emotionally and in and, and, and every way the whole time that I've been here, too. So thank you for being my family. Thank you all. Thanks to each of you for being here
1: and for the work you do. And thanks to each of you for being here this morning to share in this special time. If I could just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, we'll close in prayer. God, we ask you to take these friendships that are represented here, the partnerships in this room, that you would bind us together in love, love for you and for each other and for the unloved. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, for the days that we don't look around and when we do see need that we don't take action. We ask God for you to remind us of your power when we're daunted by the magnitude of these problems that we're trying to solve, God, when we're daunted by the enormity of the work ahead. I ask that you would remind us that this work is ordained by the very God who put the stars in the sky and put the earth under our feet. I ask you, Lord, to bless these that we have heard from this morning from their, for their colleagues, God, who have given their lives in response to your call to right wrongs, to seek justice, to feed the hungry, and to advocate for those who have been marginalized or forgotten. I ask you, God, to bless the people in this church have returned their gifts to you and that you would take those gifts and that you would multiply them for your kingdom today and always. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who you sent to show us what it looks like to advocate. In his name we pray, amen.